Good morning. My name is Tom. Oh, this is a little hot. Can you break down a little bit? And uh, my wife and I, we're from the western suburbs, uh, living out in Batavia, Illinois. And we go to Redeemer Fellowship out there. And uh, currently I'm being trained to be a pastor, so I'm a pastoral resident. Before that, I lived out in Las Vegas. So I trained to be a music teacher, and I was a middle school and high school classroom guitar teacher. did that for a few years, and I sensed the Lord calling me into ministry and looked at some schools and seminaries, and God led me out to Wheaton College. So 2009, I moved out here. And 2011, my wife Rachel, whom I met on a mission trip, moved from England out to America to marry me. So I'm very blessed, very thankful. Yeah, you can talk uh, so I finished my school last summer, and now I'm a pastoral resident, getting trained to be a pastor, and my wife and I, we are praying uh, seriously about church planting. So that's a little story about me. We're glad to be out here uh, fellowshipping with you. This is my first time preaching in the city. I preached in some suburbs, but uh, first time in Chicago. So, so glad to be here with you. Uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, 11 through 22. Ephesians 2, 11-22. Pastor Sergey asked me to preach on this passage, and the theme he gave me was how to get along. You know, we live in a world where people do not get along with each other. And some groups hate each other. And kind of a more of a playful rivalry, some people argue about iPhones versus Droid, you know, a Mac versus PC. Uh, some of you guys might be Cubs fans but some of you might be White Sox fans, might be some animosity, Democrats and Republicans. So we see it in kind of a more of a playful rivalry. You know, we, oh, you know, you're a White Sox fan, you don't, you don't really know anything. Or, um, it's kind of more of a playful way. But there's also serious hostility in our world between different groups of people. We have religious extremists who blow up bombs in Boston. We have different nations putting individuals to death. And even in our city of Chicago, we have, we have gangs that fight each other and spray bullets you know, on the streets. So that we live in a world of some serious hostility, and some groups hate each other. And they hate each other so much that they, they kill each other. Now, in Jesus' time, and when Paul wrote Ephesians, there was a lot of hostility between two groups of people, between Jews and those who weren't Jews. Extreme hostility. There's hatred between the groups, slander, violence, and a history of oppression. The passage we're looking at today uh, talks about this astonishing work of reconciliation. Reconciliation means two groups coming together. Uh, where God reconciles sinful humanity to himself and two groups of people who hate each other, he brings them to him to, together. And the passage is relevant for us today because in Christ we're empowered to have true unity with each other and a restored fellowship with the living God who created us. So as we look at this passage, and whenever you study a passage in the Bible, it's important to remember first that, that God is there and He speaks to us. And we, as we read His Word, we can hear God and we can know God. We, we, we worship the God who is there, the living God, and He's a talking God. He's not silent, but He made us. He made us to know Him and love Him. And when, but when you read a passage, it's good to put it in its context. So consider this passage for me. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul into the city of Ephesus, the city in ancient Rome. 
And he's encouraging these Christians to live out their faith. And the passage we're looking at is building really on that, that previous verse, uh, Ephesians 2.10, which you guys looked at together last week. Last week, you, you, I'm assuming you guys looked at this last week, right? 2, 1 through 10. Um, so in that passage, we learn how God has reconciled us to himself uh, through faith alone uh, in Christ. And in, and in, in 2.10, we read, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So God has created something new in Christ. And the passage we're looking at today, Paul is unpacking that. What is this new creation that God has made in Christ? And so we get to learn about that from our section. So it's building on that verse. And um, the structure of, of our passage today is broken up into three main areas. Verses 11 through 12. Paul is speaking to the Gentiles. He says, remember what you were. Remember where you came from. And then 13 through 18, he says, this is how you got to where you are now. This is how God has restored you and reconciled you with, with the Jews. And then uh, verses 20, or 19 through 22, uh, Paul recaps and he elaborates on our new identity in Christ. So as we look at this text today, I think there's three main points I want to draw out of it. And then I want to give you some implications. So, the three main points. First, uh, we do not get along. We do not get along. Second, how to get along. And third, how to keep getting along. So, let me uh, read the text, and then I'll pray for us. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy, holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we love You, and we love that You are real. And you made us for your glory. And your glory is greater than any glory of this world. God, I pray that you would help us in this time as we look at your scriptures. Lord, help me to clearly and accurately explain it. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us um, to understand your word. I pray that you would uh, convict us, God, by your Holy Spirit. Would you show us the ways, Lord, that we are not being in unity with each other? And God, would you... Um, encourage us in the gospel that through Christ we are reconciled to you and reconciled to each other. 
I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord. Help the congregation as they have just a, a guest speaker here. Help them to learn from your word and, and help me to faithfully deliver it. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first, we do not get along. Verses 11 and 12. We do not get along. Looking at the text here, Paul begins by reminding the Gentiles. Gentile means those who are not ethnically Jewish where they came from. And he says here, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, made in the flesh by hands, remember that you at that one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What we read here is Paul is, is reminding the Gentile believers. He wants, them to re, he wants them to remember where they came from and as we look at the, uh, the language here, he says that you guys are called the uncircumcision uh, by those who are um, ethnically Jewish. So this was kind of their, uh, their slang term for him. Kind of, it was like a jibe. Oh yeah, the uncircumcision. It was kind of a, a derogatory comment, almost like looking down on those who were not of the Jewish people. And Paul's saying, remember at, that, at one time you were called the uncircumcision. By what, is made, by what is a circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that this is, at, at, at this time you were separated from the people of God. So he wants them to remember where they came from. They are, they are far away from God's people. They were alienated from the commonwealth and strangers to the covenants of promise. Paul wants the Gentiles here to remember their hopeless state that they were in. They were separated from God's people. And also they were separated from God Himself. We read in verse 12, having no hope and without God in the world. Now if you know much about uh, the, the city of Ephesus in the time, it was a very polytheistic city. That means there was lots of gods, lots of temples, and people were very, very religious. They would go to the temple and they would worship their God and they would have a different God for different facets of life. But Paul is saying here, before you were a Christian... You were without God. Now what does that mean? Because they, they had all kinds of gods. I think what he's saying here is you were without the true living God. And that's what the Bible teaches, is that there's only one God. There's only one God, and that is the God of the Bible. And so other gods, they may exist, there may be other religions, but there's only really one true God. We may have friends who are in another faith, they may be in other different religions, the Bible says they are without God. And not only that, they are without hope. You know, and we, in this, this neighborhood particularly, and in the suburbs where I'm from, it's really shiny, and it's really attractive, beautiful buildings. People have gorgeous houses. Um, and they seem to be pretty happy, don't they? Don't you, do you guys have friends and family who are not Christians? And they, they seem to be doing all right sometimes. Uh, but, but truly, the Bible says... They are without hope. They were made to know God. And the only life, the only true life is found in Jesus. And Paul says, remember where you guys came from. You were separated from the people of God. You were separated from God. And you really had no hope. It's important for us too to remember where we were, you know, before we became a Christian. Sometimes it's been many, for some of us it's been many, many years. Some of you guys might be brand new Christians. But it's important to remember, you once were hopeless. You once did not have God. You once were separated from God and from His people. 
It's important to remember that. I think it, as we meditate on that, it gives us a heart of compassion for the lost around us. Those who are without Christ are truly without hope. Because there is no hope outside of Christ. So Paul begins, he says, Remember where you came from, Gentiles. Remember where you were. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you're strangers to the covenants of promise. What those covenants of promise is referring to is in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with, with David, and we have the Mosaic covenant. And all, and all the covenants of the Old Testament pointed toward the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he says that one time, you were separated. You were strangers to, to the promises of the covenant. So, you did not get along, Ephesians. And that's the same for us uh, in humanity in general. We, we come into this world rebels against God and rebels against each other. A good kind of side reference for this verse is, is in Titus 3.3. 3. Titus 3.3 kind of says the same thing. Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hated by one another. Our world may say that people are basically good and we're all basically good, but the Bible says that we're of worth, but we are corrupt. And the, the problem is sin, is that we have rebelled against the living God who made us. We have sinned against God. Um, one of my favorite writers, Francis Schaeffer, says that sin affects us on, on four different levels. First off, sin separates us from God. We can't know Him as He is because we sin against Him and it separates us. Sin also separates us from knowing and loving each other. When we sin against someone else, it separates us from knowing them. It distances us from them. Sin corrupts our own self. It, it separates us from even really knowing ourself truly. Think of all the psychological problems people have, all the different kind of things that are going on. Sin, sin affects ourself, and it affects the way that we treat the world as well. We abuse nature. So the first point is we do not get along. That's what the Ephesians had to remember. That's where they came from. But it's, it's the same for us. It's a hopeless state. Verses 13 through 18 uh, leads us to our second point, how to get along. And in, in this section here, we see the hope. And it's the, the reconciling work through the person of Christ who, who brings us back to God. He restores us that we might be in relationship with others. And He creates a new humanity. So verses 13 through 18 Paul impacts this. He says that you know you before you were apart from God. But in verse 13, we let's uh, pick it up here. But now, in Christ Jesus, that's such a hopeful but now, something different has happened. But now, you're not without hope. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were separated from God, separated from His people, but now... He has brought you close by the blood of Christ. For He Himself, that is Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man 
in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. As we look at this, I want, to, I want you to notice three things. Because Paul, Paul's talking about how we can get along. How the Gentile believers can, be, can get along and become part of the people of God and how they can know God. But there's three things in here I want you to really notice and take away. First, that it's through the person of Christ. Second, it's through His reconciling work. And third, it's through His creative work. So that's a lot of content. But I'll make that packet for you. So first, it's through the person of Christ. How can we get along with each other in our broken, corrupt world? How can we know the living God? It's through Jesus, the Messiah. It's through Jesus Christ. And we see this in verse um, 13. But now in Christ, Jesus. And at the end of that, by the blood of Christ. And in verse 16, through the cross. See, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to man and He came, came to earth and He dwelt as a man. Jesus Christ is the God-man. And He came and He lived a perfect life and He revealed to humanity how, who God is and how they might know God. But in his whole life, he knew that he would go to the cross. And it's through him, through his blood, through the cross, that we are reconciled to God and reconciled with each other. And it's, but it's only through Jesus. No one else lived a perfect life. You and I, we sin, don't we? we? We sin against God. We sin against each other. Jesus lived the perfect life. He perfectly obeyed God's will. He perfectly obeyed God's law. And it is through Jesus... That, that, that humanity can know God. It's through Jesus that we can know God and we can have our sins forgiven. It's by His blood. It's by the cross. See, on the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God for our sins. All of our sins were placed on Christ. It's through Jesus. So, that is the first point. It's through Christ. Second point, is through, it's through His reconciling work. Now, reconcile, like I said, it means to, it's to, to bring two things uh, back together. Two, two groups that are uh, hostile with each other. It's to bring them back to each other. And we see here that, that Jesus Christ uh, reconciles us with each other and us with God. So Jesus makes us right with each other and he makes us right with God. And I want you to kind of notice a few things um, as, as we look through this. So verse 13 uh, you who are far away, he's brought you near. You were far away from the people of God, but now he's brought you near. Some of you became Christians recently. You were far away from God's people. He has brought you near. Physically, as well as spiritually, you are now here. Um, so he's brought you near. He is our peace. Here's something that might be confusing to you. In verse 15, verse 14, he says that he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What is that? What in the world is that? Uh, and if, if you run across a passage or a phrase like that and you don't understand it, there's some great resources. You can get a study Bible. You can uh, go online and there's lots of commentaries to help you understand uh, things like this. But most commentators believe what he's talking about here is the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, he's actually drawing an analogy from the temple. Because in, in Paul's day, there was the Jewish temple. And one commentator explains it well. In this temple, you have the outside court. 
And if you're not a Jew, you can go and you can walk around. But there is the inside court, and only Jewish people can go in. And there is these 37-foot pillars, this massive wall that separated anybody who was Gentile uh, from Jewish. That The Gentiles could not come into the inner court. They were separated from this massive wall. And archaeologists have recently found uh, this slab that was on the wall. And it's really interesting to read. It's because Gentiles were not allowed to go in there. And here's what it says. It says, No foreigner is to enter within the forecourt around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death. So if a Gentile went to the inner court, they might be killed. That's what he's saying. But now there's a wall of hostility. And Paul is saying that that Jesus Christ has broken down the wall of hostility that separated Gentiles and Jews. So while the physical wall might remain, the real wall that separates a Gentile believer and a Jewish believer from being in fellowship with each other is broken down. Jesus Christ has broken it down. And He's broken it down in His flesh uh, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What that means is all of the, all of the food rules, all of the Mosaic covenant the things that the dietary restrictions that the Jews, the Old Testament, were supposed to fulfill, Jesus perfectly fulfilled them on the cross. So now in the New Covenant, you're not obligated to obey all these particular food regulations. Food regulations that set Israel apart and show them that how they might be holy. But the truly holy one is Jesus Christ. And in His holiness and in His perfect life, He died on the cross and He abolished that. So now as we are New Testament saints, We're not bound to those things anymore. So, Jesus Christ has reconciled us to other other believers. So, Gentiles to the Jews. But He's also reconciled humanity to God. In verse 16, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. And in verse 18, For through Him we have access in one Spirit to the Father. See, what Jesus Christ did is He came and He reconciled rebellious humanity to a holy God. It says in verse 18 that we might have access with the Father. You and I, we were made to know God the Father. We were made to know God. As Christians, we believe that there is one God in three persons. Theologians refer to this as the Trinity. And this is a great verse. If you're talking with friends who say, the Trinity isn't in the Bible. Show me where the word Trinity is. Well, you can say, that's true. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept is all over. You know what else is not in the Bible? The word Bible. But it's a real thing, right? I mean, there's all, that argument is really foolish. It doesn't work. But in verse 16, look at this. I'm sorry, verse 18, look at this. Through Him, through Jesus, we have access in one Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, to the Father. So you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. So, so Jesus Christ reconciles us to each other and He reconciles us with God. Third point I want you to see in here is that it's a creative work. In verse 16, it says, He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, um, killing the hostility. Uh, I'm sorry, back in verse 15. He might create in Himself one new man in the place of the two. So what... What, what God has done in Christ is He's made a new creation. And we read that back in verse, in verse 10. That, that we are His workmanship. We are His creation. In Jesus, on the cross, 
and He died and He rose again conquering sin, He made a new humanity out of people from every tribe and tongue. As they place their faith in Jesus, a new humanity is, is come into creation. And you're part of the new humanity. You and I are part of this, this new man that is in Christ. If you want a good reference for that, Paul says in, in Galatians 3.28, he kind of says the same thing, Galatians 3.28, in this new humanity, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're part of this new creation that is broken into this dead, sinful world. You're part of the new humanity in Christ. So the reconciling work is in Jesus. He reconciles us with each other and with God. And He does it by making a new creation. And you and I are part of the new creation. I think it's important to notice some things that Paul doesn't say here. Paul doesn't say that to be right with God, we have to do good works. He doesn't say that we have to try harder. He doesn't say you need to do more sacrifices. He says it's through Jesus. That's how you're going to be right with God. And that's how you're going to be right with each other. And that's the, that's the message that our neighbors need to hear. It's through Jesus. It's not through being a good person. Because there is no good person except for Jesus. Jesus Christ reconciles us with each other and with God. It's also, we also live in a time where a lot of, you, you hear of the ecumenical movement. Where some people say, you know what really matters is unity. So, we should all just pray together. You know, we, that's what, you know, we all kind of believe in the same God. So you have somebody who's a Christian, someone who's Muslim, someone who's Buddhist, um, Hindu. Let's all get together and let's, let's pray together. And you probably have friends who have heard that and, and, and believe that. But, but it doesn't really work because there's only one true God, Jesus Christ. There's only one true God, the God of the Bible. You can try to make a unity by praying by getting together and praying, but it, it doesn't really work. The only way to be reconciled is through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Only through Christ. So we've looked at how we do not get along. We've looked at how to get along. Now I want, to, I want you to consider the last four verses. How to continue getting along. Verses 19 through 22. So in this section, Paul here, he's given a recap. And he's also wanting these, these believers to be even more firmly rooted in their new identity in Christ. And he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul here is he's recapping what he said and he's trying and he's elaborating on this new identity that if you're in Christ you have a new identity and there's three kind of thing, three main things I want you to notice in this passage so he's reminding him you're no longer a stranger and a citizen but he's he's given them three things to kind of hang their identity on he says that they are citizens that they are members of God's house and that they're part of the temple of God so he says that you are now a fellow citizen with the saints. In Paul's day, if you were a citizen in Rome, you thought that you were in part of the greatest nation that ever existed. Paul is saying 
you have a citizenship that's even greater than that. You're part of the people of God. And, and this citizenship, this new people, is based on the foundation of Christ, or the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Christ is the cornerstone. So it's rooted in Jesus, and the apostles and the New Testament prophets faithfully deliver uh, the Word of God. But you, if you are a Christian today, you have citizenship in the people of God. That's even better than being an American citizen. My wife is not an American citizen. She is working to be one. She's British, and that's a good thing. We want her to have that. Um, but even greater than the greatest citizenship of this, of this world is to be a citizen of God's people. And if you are a Christian, that's what you have. You're part of the people of God. That's a really hopeful, wonderful thing. Secondly, you are a joint member in God's household. Some of you guys here might be really close to your family. You might, some of other you might not be very close. It may feel strange. But for many, the household is the closest bond you can think of on this world. In, in, in the Bible, in, in theology that we read here, is that if you're a Christian, you become part of God's household. God becomes your father. That means we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a connection with each other as believers that's even closer than the connection you can have as a as blood family because we're in Christ. It's a spiritual connection. If you're truly in Christ, we're going to be with each other forever on the new heavens, the new earth, worshiping. The bonds of our earthly family may fade away, but the spiritual family that we're in Christ is going to last forever. And Paul's saying you are part of this. You're, you're, part, you're fellow citizen with this people of God and you're part of God's household. Finally, he says that you are part of the temple of God. And Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. In verse 22, the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In the Old Testament, you had the, this physical temple that God commanded His people to build. And in the temple, as we, as we read through that, we see God's presence dwells there. We also read in the temple... God's glory fills the temple. And what happens at the temple? People come and they worship God. They come and they learn true knowledge about the true living God. They come and they offer sacrifices of, of worship. And in the Old Testament, we have, we have the temple. Then when we get to the Gospels, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? He says that tear down this temple and in three days you know, it will be raised again. So Jesus Himself is the temple of God, the place of God's presence where God's word goes forth. And then when we get to the, um, when we get to the letters of Paul in the New Testament, read that if you're a believer, you're part of God's temple. So what does that mean to be part of God's temple? Well, it means a few things, and it's, it's very hopeful. It means that now God's presence dwells within you. If you are a Christian, God's presence is within you. Also, you are the place where God's glory resides. So you, you know, you're out here on the streets uh, of Roscoe or wherever you live, and God's glory is in you. And you are spreading His glory wherever you go. God's glory, His temple is spreading out over the earth right now through you. You are the temple of God. In you, the wisdom of God is going forth. We live in a world that is lost and foolish. But as you speak God's word, in a way, as the, as the temple of God, you are communicating God's wisdom to the world, a lost world. In you, pleasing worship is being offered up. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you are a living sacrifice. 
We are the temple of God. And this unity that we have in the temple is beautiful. And it's, it's glorious. Think, of, think for a minute about other ways that we could be united with each other. You know, there's hobbies, there's interests, there's other things. Ultimately, when you compare the unity of this world with the unity that we have in Christ, unity of this world is just worthless. But the unity that we have in Christ is beautiful and it's glorious. The unity of this world is profane and it's delusional. It's based on causes that will often or ultimately pass away. But the unity that we have in Christ, every race is joined together, filled with the hope, of jo- hope and joy, worshiping the one true God. Unity of this world is often selfish and tainted with a vainglory, often spreading enmity and hatred. But the glory, glorious gospel unity spreads God's glory throughout the whole world and knowledge of the one true God. Unity of this world has a false beauty to it. It's really ugly in reality. But the unity of our gospel unity we have in Christ is beautiful. Objectively beautiful. Unity of this world, our hurts are suppressed. We have a false sense of renewal in whatever cause. But in Christ, our hearts are healed and they're made alive by the Holy Spirit. Unity of this world is visible, but it's only superficial. Unity that we have in Christ is invisible, but it's more real than any unity of this world. So we've seen how we don't get along, how to get along, and how to keep on getting along. And I want to bring us now to some implications for us as believers. What do we do now with this passage? How does this help us? What does it mean today? 2013, city of Chicago. I'm going to give you a few implications, and I hope that they're helpful for you. So firstly, I think we need to recognize the idols and sins which hinder our unity and repent. So first, we need to recognize the sins and idols which hinder our unity from each other, and we need to repent. I'm just going to give you a few, uh, some common enemies of unity in the church. First is sin. Unrepented sin will destroy unity. So your unity here in Christian Fellowship Church, sin will destroy it. If we're struggling with jealousy, if we wish that we had a position that we don't have it, we're coveting, that's going to destroy our unity. I remember when I, you know, a few years ago, uh, when I was living in Las Vegas, I really struggled with jealousy and covetousness. I thought, you know what, I'm reading all these books. I should be up there, you know, leading worship, or I should be up there preaching. I was really covetous. I was really unhappy with what God had me. And some of you guys may be struggling with covetousness in the church, but it separates you from loving your brother and sister. Maybe some of you are insecure in your identity in Christ. You're unsatisfied with who God has made you. I think within all of us, it's so tempting to see someone else and be like, I wish I was like that. If I was like that, then I would be truly happy. But we're, we're disbelieving in God in that moment. Pride will destroy the unity. Selfish agendas. Some of you may be struggling with gossip. Some of you may be struggling with slander. Some of you may be struggling with adultery. Maybe not physically, maybe it's just in your heart. Lying, stealing, any sin which is unrepented of will destroy community. Another enemy of unity in the church is lack of forgiveness. See, when when someone has sinned against us, it's so easy to be hard-hearted and just to hold a grudge in our hearts. 
Another enemy might be prioritizing secondary issues. Sometimes people come into the church and say, oh, this is what church is about. This is how we should do church. And it can cause division. Uh, other enemies might be racism. Thinking negatively about those from a different culture, skin type. Ageism. Sometimes we think old people don't know anything or young people are too young, they don't know anything. Social, economic snobbery. We look down on those who are poor. Intellectual elitism. We look down on those who are smart or foolish. But all these things destroy our unity. So only, only you know what, what things that you struggle with in your heart. Next implication is we need to believe the Gospel and let it kill the hostility that we have um, with each other. See, the Gospel is the answer. In Christ, we have our sins forgiven. So as we struggle with covetousness and pride and jealousy, we go to Jesus and we have our, fin- our sins forgiven and God makes us new. Our selfishness, our idolatry, our slandering, Jesus Christ paid for all of your sins and He reconciles you with God and with each other. In Christ, we can show forgiveness to each other because we've been forgiven more than we could ever know. So if you're, if you're harboring a bitterness towards somebody, think about how much Christ has forgiven you. You don't need to have that hardness of heart. Christ has forgiven you. Jesus shows us what our first priority should be, preaching the Gospel, preaching Christ. The Gospel also kills racism because in the body of Christ, there's people from every tribe and tongue. The Gospel uh, kills our, our tendency to judge those who are of different ages, poor and rich, ignorant and wise. But the Gospel is what kills the hostility. So my, my final implication for you guys today is I just want to encourage you to embrace your real and new identity in Christ. If you're in Christ, you are part of this new creation and you are united with each other and you have fellowship with God. And I want to give, leave you guys with one quote from one of my favorite theologians, uh, Bonhoeffer. You see, because we, we have this new reality in Christ, which is real. Even if it doesn't feel real, it, it truly is real. And we are united in Christ because God, God Himself has, has united us with each other. So our hope for being united with each other and with God is through the Gospel. We repent of our sin and we embrace the Gospel. And in the Gospel, we can be close to each other and with God. And Bonhoeffer says it this way. He says, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. See, this reality has been created by God. We are united to each other. God has made it not something we just think of, but it's something that God has made in Christ. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to spend, uh, we're going to have a time of communion. Dave's going to lead us in that. And I want to encourage you guys, yeah, to really consider the sins that are separating you from each other and from God and embrace the gospel. Jesus' work on the cross is your only hope. It's our only hope to be right with God and to be right with each other. So let me pray for us. Lord God, we, uh, we thank You that You have made a new creation in Christ. You have reconciled us with Yourself and with each other in the Gospel. I pray that You would show us the ways that we are sinning and we are turning from You. And Lord, help us to repent and embrace Christ. I pray for any here who have never 
truly turn from their sins. I pray that you would convict them and help them to turn and embrace Jesus as their only hope. I pray for all of us who have embraced Christ already. I pray that you would help us to embrace Christ anew, to see each other as part of the temple of God, part of the people of God, and help us, Lord, to live in light of this new reality. And we pray all these things for your glory, God, and in the name of Jesus. Amen.